Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. It's good to be here today. And I have very special guests, Belinda Liebowitz, an occupational therapist, and Hazel Sacker-Roberts, an optometrist. And we're going to be talking about low vision, vision impairment. You can SMS us on 34519 or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. The best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. That was by Helen Keller, who was deaf and blind at the age of 19 months. Welcome, both of you. It's so nice to have you here, and thank you for agreeing to come in. Audrey Weiner told me that you ha- had to have both of you. And we wanted to get her as well, didn't we? Yes, we did. <laughs> and uh, she wasn't interested in coming on. But she told me that the two of you have just helped her so much and been inspirational to her So, uh, with, with her own low vision. So welcome. Now, who would like to start by just explaining what low vision is? Hazel, Belinda's pointing to you. Okay, low vision is something that happens. Uh, it's actually another term for visually impaired. When you lose your hearing, you are hearing impaired. When you lose your vision, we can talk about low vision, which is the new terminology, or we say you are visually impaired. It usually results after having had some kind of eye condition, some kind of loss of vision due to an eye pathology, such as uh, macular degeneration or glaucoma or a diabetic retinopathy, some kind of condition that prevents that eye from seeing 100%. The pathology can be in the eye itself or along the visual pathway through to the brain. And depending on where that loss comes from, you get different kinds of vision loss, all of which are grouped together by the term low vision. What is important to understand is that generally when you cannot see, when you're short-sighted or far-sighted, does that mean you have low vision? Um, in a way, yes, because when you're not wearing your glasses, you cannot see. Mm-hmm. But people that wear glasses are able to get perfect vision with their glasses. When you have low vision, even if you have the best possible spectacle or contact lens correction, you are unable to achieve what we would call 6-6 vision or 20-20 vision. So is it a new word, would you say, Belinda, what do you think? This low vision or vision impaired, because before was it just simply you either wore spectacles or, you know, you got on with, with life with very little vision? So I think that, um, visual impairment has always been around. They've always, they've, they've been various names for it. Um, but I think that it's more PC to speak about low vision. Um, and it gives the understanding there are very few people who are, are totally blind. Um, total blindness would be that there's no light perception, um, and that's very different. Um, if one has, um, if you take that the one wall, if you're in a room and one wall is perfect vision and the opposite wall is total blindness, one step away from either is low vision. And low vision is vision that cannot be corrected to 2020. Okay. So how how did you come, the two of you, to actually meet and to start your center? They have what's called the low vision care center. And um, perhaps let's start by actually saying, first of all, what is the low vision care center? 
The Low Vision Care Center is actually an optometric practice where we have two optometrists that have a special interest in low vision, and we provide low vision services. And we also are lucky to have Belinda, who's an occupational therapist. Because when you lose your uh, vision, it's very multidisciplinary. Uh, let's rather go back a step. In fact, when you need glasses per se, you would normally go to an optometrist. You get a pair of glasses, and that pair of glasses works for everything. You want the glasses to help you to read, to drive, to watch TV, etc. When there is visual impairment, the loss is a lot more complicated. You have to deal with the condition itself. If there's any possible medical or surgical treatment, that has to be attended to first. Then we have to say, okay, where are the areas of remaining vision? Once we find that area of remaining vision, can it be helped with glasses? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So the yes is easy to a certain level, but if it's the no, then what do we do? We need to say, well, what else is there? And we look at low vision assistive devices. So the assessment is very different from a routine optometric assessment. Routine optometric assessments are normally in and out within 20 minutes to half an hour. Our assessments take at least an hour to an hour and a half because we take a very holistic approach. Each person is seen as an individual. We see what is wrong with them and what are their specific needs. One person might want to drive, which is a big challenge. Somebody else might want to do knitting or sewing. Another person might want computer work, all with the same condition causing the vision loss. So we need to um, individualize. We need to make something that is right for that person under their specific circumstances. So as you say, it's actually multidisciplinary then, your whole practice. And um, who would refer? Would you have referrals or do people, is it from word of mouth? The majority of patients come, in fact, from both. A lot come from the eye specialists where they have been diagnosed with a specific condition and They've had the best possible medical and surgical treatment, and they then get referred to us to assist with a holistic approach. We're very, very holistic, and we very individualize. There's no general thing that works for everybody. And I work very closely with Belinda, who then takes on on the occupational therapist uh, side, but not the OT like you would think, you know, pencil grip and how do we write. Um, she looks at what we call the activities of daily living. How do you manage to go to the shops? How do you manage to punch in your uh, credit card number to butter your bread, etc., etc.? And then, if what we are ne- the, sorry, Hazel, just mm. let me just go to Belinda for this for a moment. What are the most challenging areas that people actually come in with that you need to work with? You know, Hazel's mentioned. Uh, punching in the correct uh, I often punch in the wrong code by the way and have to then walk away very quickly in case they it's going to eat up my card you know (laughs) so one of the problems is that um, patients are very often only referred um, sort of at end stage I really would like patients to be referred the moment they are diagnosed with a pathology so that we can discuss the things that will make life easier and that they can start adapting and when they buy new devices, for example, microwaves, washing machines, that they will buy things with dials as opposed to beeps, that it will make it easier for them or something that they would find um, easier if their vision were to change. We have no idea when and if their vision will change. Even something like a cell phone, for example, you know, We're going to get back to that in a second. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. I'm back with my guests. (laughs) I'm actually laughing. Belinda Leibovitz and Hazel Sakharovitz. I had said to them both, well, you'll see that Craig's going to hold up a piece of paper. When he does, we go to advert. And uh, I said, and I must admit, I don't think Hazel actually saw the piece of paper because she suddenly started chatting and then looked very surprised when we stopped her. <laughs> so we're all having a good laugh here. All right. So you were saying about the, the the machines, and you were about to say what were you about to say, Hazel? 
what I was saying is that when Belinda's talking about getting different kinds of devices, it even goes down to something as simple as a cell phone. We have a lot of patients that come through that are elderly that have great difficulty with the tablets um, or these new cell phones that are touch, the touch screen. Mm. And there are actually cell phones for the visually impaired, even if you're totally in blind, that would actually talk you through, you know, which button Gosh, to press. Is that so? mm-hmm. And there are other ones that are large digits. So they actually high contrast because some of the things that make a difference are the size, the bigger it is, the easier it is to see, and of course the white on black or black on white. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we assist with things like that because those are activities of daily living. That is something that you do all the time. Um, Having said the word time makes me think, well, what about telling the time? How do you know what the time is if you can't see your watch? And you get beautiful, pretty little watches that are gold with gold hands or whatever. They're not easy to see. Today you can get larger watches with nice dark and light backgrounds. And we assist with that. That's why it's a very multidisciplinary approach, but we also are... What is the word, B, where we look, we're holistic. We're very holistic, holistic, very holistic approach. And, you know, Belinda, I'm thinking as Hazel is is talking about the different devices, there must be quite a lot of, uh, of feeling of empowerment coming in here when for for the, your person who's coming in feeling pretty helpless at times, thinking there's not much that can be done. Here you're showing them that there's actually still a lot that can be done. Absolutely. Um, one of the most important things is when people walk out and they say, I have hope again. Mm-hmm. And that's um, really an amazing thing for them. Um, and for you, I'm sure. Absolutely. And and very often it's a simple, Hazel was talking about the special what, um, phones for the elderly, but the the um, smartphones are amazing with the apps and technology that just allow people. We had a conference one day, and um, a girl who's totally blind arrived um, to talk at the conference, and she had um, her Uber driver couldn't bring her right inside. So she got out and she used an app called Be My Eyes, which uses your camera and. You have volunteers around the world, and she then held up her camera, and they could direct her into the hotel. Amazing. It was the camera on the phone. You know, so it's absolutely amazing. You could go into a shop, pick up your, or go to your fridge and say, I'm trying to cook, but people have moved things around. Can you help me? And someone on the other side will say, just look to the right. There it is. Um, And... It's phenomenal. Mm, absolutely. And anyone in the family um, can become a volunteer, and they um, often don't. Uh, I mean, they're not called upon often to assist. Mm, that's amazing. Now, what made the two of you actually decide to do this together? Well, we met at a conference. Uh, Belinda tells me it's some 33 years ago. The years just fly. And we just clicked together. I think it was Bashir. We were just meant to work together. We've worked together ever since then from the years at the university where I used to lecture to now where I'm in private practice. And I think the two disciplines work so well because Belinda takes such a holistic approach um, and I've got more on the clinical side when the two skills just complement each other. So did you recognize that? At the time that you needed someone like an OT. Absolutely. So part of that conference where we met some 33 years ago, um, they had people from different disciplines working together and they shared the ideas that they used in the States. So up until then, low vision in South Africa was just done by optometrists in isolation where they were just working with the product and the level of vision, but not looking at the holistic approach and at the whole person. And from there, we met orientation and mobility instructors, we met social workers, we met OTs, we met people from schools, school teachers, uh, teachers working with the visually impaired, and I realized how important it was to actually stand together, and that I think is one of the things that I have to give myself a bit of credit for, I think a little tap on the shoulder, but I've really brought everybody together over the years mm-hmm. so that now we've got support groups, support from each other, 
but also um, support from other disciplines. So much so that when we had our conference, we've had a, two years of conference, and we actually always invite anybody in the field that has an interest in visual impairment, whether it be teachers, whether it be social workers, psychologists. Who else have I left out? Is there any other Nurses. group? Nursing. Mm. Teachers, as you said. But, you know, I should imagine that with low vision, it doesn't just happen overnight, does it? it it's, it's a gradual process. So there must be a sense of grieving that goes with it with each stage. Absolutely. Um, so it's very important to discuss with them that losing their vision is the same as in any loss and that one goes through the five stages and it doesn't come with a time limit and doesn't come with a set order. So go through the five stages? So initially they will be cleaning their glasses constantly and um, denial. Um, the doctor said I have a problem but I don't really or I keep bumping my car. Um, or I trip over things. They, once they go to the doctor, there's bargaining. If they can just see their first grandchild, their daughter, their whatever, there's anger. Why me? I've always been such a good person. There's depression. Mm -hmm. And there's acceptance. And there's a very big difference between acceptance and resignation. Very often patients will say, well, this is my lot in life and I've accepted it. That's not acceptance. That's resignation. Acceptance is I've lost my vision, but I have got amazing new glasses. I've got incredible technology, and I'm able to continue with my life. So there is a, a sense that there is a future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, and what we've also started is, um, as Hazel mentioned, the support groups, um, we've tried to do it nationally where we have um, people uh, on WhatsApp groups and they can contact us or contact anyone in the group saying, I'm having a problem with this. Can anyone tell me how to do it? We also have a low vision interest group, which is for anybody working with the visually impaired, um, be that nurses, teachers, um uh, ocularists, the people who make the artificial eyes. Um, so Hazel and I both share a passion for sharing our knowledge and trying to create awareness of what is available. Mm -hmm. and, and actually helping people realize there is hope. Absolutely. And um, tell me about anxiety, because anxiety must be a very big issue. With um, I, I know when I had my cataract um, op, one at a time, yeah. but even so, when it was one, I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, I just hope my other eye holds out for now. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson, and we're actually going to just go to her YouTube quickly on low vision. It's by a, a man, Lawrence Harrison, who is an African-American and was in the Army, and he will just talk us through his own low vision experience. I was um, very young when I lost my vision. I joined the Navy once I finished high school. I went to Eastern Senior High School and came out in 1977. And I went to the military, joined the Navy. Around nine or ten years after after the military, I developed um, seeing rainbows around lights and couldn't focus on things directly. And then found myself walking into doors and tables. And then I went to the VA and the eye doctor told me that I had advanced case of glaucoma and I was on the verge of losing my sight. Since I became visually impaired, my life has changed as far as uh, no more driving. Had to be careful about going out, mostly during the daytime, not at nighttime because can't see nothing hardly during the day, so you're not going to see too much during the nighttime. You got to be cautious about crossing the street because walking without a cane and you're crossing the street and have vision loss, you know that you 
have vision loss, but the person that's driving do not know. Walking with a cane, it helps a whole lot. I have a little small telescope that is hooked to a pair of glasses that I wear, and I can sit back and focus on the TV screen so I can focus so I can see it clearly. Uh, I have a magnifier that I use to help me to do more detailed work on my artwork. I've been painting for ever since I was small, and I love to paint. I like for my work to to stand out, to be, you can be able to touch, to see, and something I love to do. I love to paint. With my vision loss, it gave me the courage and strength to continue on painting, to do more painting, because I wanted to say, let the world know that with your vision loss, you can continue on no matter what. You can still do it. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and my guests today are Belinda Leibovitz and Hazel Sacker-Roberts from the Low Vision Care Center, and we're talking about vision uh, impairment or low vision, and we've just been listening to the YouTube um and I must admit that he gives a lot of hope there, doesn't he, saying that this is what he wants to do for the future still and this is what he is doing. And just for a moment before I, I actually pick up on that, I just want to mention um, my husband's uncle. He was a, a man living in Durban on his own and um, he began to lose his uh, macular degeneration, started coming in, but he would not actually recognize it. And he used to go to the post office. He lived on the, in one of those flats on the Durban beachfront. And he used to walk across a very busy road. Uh, and he couldn't believe that people were not actually stopping for him. And my husband said to him, well, you know, Uncle Joe, it's actually very dangerous for you just to step off and walk off into, you know, into the road. You need a white cane. And he was so insulted. He was indignant, actually. Couldn't believe that his, his nephew thought he needed a white cane. And eventually, I must admit, he, he said to uh, my husband, look, would you mind just painting my, my stick white? Which is how he started and, uh, which with, with a white stick and he could not believe how people suddenly were waiting. Their cars were stopping for him. So sometimes it's in recognizing that you really do need help, that you get help. Absolutely. And what did you think of that YouTube, Belinda? So, so in, you're nodding there. In, in fact, one of the things that you say there is that, um, one of the biggest um, problems and I spoke to a lady about this on Saturday she said going for mobility training would mean I've given up and that's not true at all um, last year we had a lady who had recently lost her sight and she was at our conference and in fact she spoke and she had done her mobility training and she had all sorts of devices and she said when she was thinking one day what had made the most difference in her life, um, it wasn't the fancy technology. It was mobility. It was mm -hmm. the fact that she could get around independently. That little white cane had changed her life. Mm. But it's important to understand that with mobility, you have to undergo training. And it's not, um, it's not a short, um, a sudden process. You start and you learn orientation and getting around your own home and then moving on to learning to navigate areas on your own. And, you know, you did mention to me, actually, when I spoke to you, that um, sometimes it's the loss of one eye and even just sitting in a special position can change that. Just explain that again. So um, we we had a gentleman come to our office and he had lost his left eye um, and he was sitting in the room and I was to the left of him um, as were some other people and I said to him, before we go further, can we just change the room around so it will make it easier for you from a, um, a, a, a stress point of view and headaches and whatever. If you constantly having to turn your neck to such a degree to see people, 
you are going to really cause yourself neck pain and and um, extra stress and extra stress and he said he was re- really angry that i had um told him you know where he should sit mm-hmm. but um, in the last two years he will always walk into a room and assess where we'll give him the best vision. Mm-hmm. So that anger, I'm sure, often comes up, actually. Yes. And, um, you, you know, you, you obviously understand it, but other people, I don't think so often do. And, and my aunt had a macular g- degeneration. She lived in Cape Town in a, in a beautiful retirement village. And she always said to me that it was much better to be blind than to be deaf. She said people were kinder to the blind than they were to the deaf, that she found that they got very irritable, you know, where she was with blind people, but but they helped her. And I said to her, you know, perhaps it's because you're prepared to accept help. Not everybody is prepared to accept help. And she said, oh, yes, there are a few quite angry men around here who sort of just um, knock the nurses or, you know, whoever's helping aside and saying I can manage on my own. Absolutely. Do you find that? Absolutely. You know, if you go into a shopping center and you see somebody battling, um, you could say to them, can I help you? Even if it's that they just can't reach something or you can see that they can't read it, most of them will be grateful and there'll be the odd one who rebuffs you. Mm. But take a chance on the other nine. So true. Take the chance. The problem, the problem with low vision is in, in the majority of cases, the public are not aware that you are visually impaired because I don't know if it's fortunate or unfortunate, but you look like everybody else. Mm. You know, you won't know that somebody has a cataract. You won't know that somebody has macular degeneration. You might know if they have glaucoma because sometimes you get a mistiness of the eyes. But in many of the conditions, you actually look like everyone else. So you might be stumbling along, shuffling, and somebody's pushing you out the way, or you're asking someone, please, can you tell me the price of this item? And they say, are you stupid? How can you not see it? But they don't realize that you have a visual impairment. So the story with the cane is actually a very interesting one because most people have a resistance to it Mm -hmm. because low vision and blindness are not exactly the same. Blind people have to have the cane to give them independence. But if you are low vision, you might not need a cane. But how else do you tell people that you have a visual Mm -hmm. problem? Mm -hmm. We've had stickers made that say, I am visually impaired. In fact, we use VIP. They are very important people, (laughs) but they are visually impaired people. And uh, there is something called a symbol cane, which is a cane that sort of folds up that you could keep in a handbag or in a satchel, and when you feel you're in an insecure situation, like, for example, in a shopping center and you're now lost, you can flick out that little cane, and then at least people will say, okay, maybe now, you know, I can see you are visually impaired, and, you know, so you can ask for help. Do you find, I mean, you're saying that you can't always notice it, but um, in reading up myself on on, uh, visual impairment, One of the things uh, was that some people actually who are not understanding it uh, are finding that the person's not making proper eye contact or looking slightly to the side of them uh, or not showing much emotion on their face. Um, Do you do? Is it something that you actually can work with that in in getting people to understand themselves? What's happening and sometimes the reaction from other people. Absolutely. Knowledge is empowerment. If you know why you're doing something or if you should be doing something, you are empowered. Uh, the emphasis then lies on the person themselves to share that information with the rest of their family, etc. And that's why when we do a low vision assessment, we always like to have the family members in so that they can actually see what the level of vision is. How do they find that area of vision? Looking straight ahead at something sometimes doesn't work. You've mm-hmm. got to look off to the side. If you have central loss, you've got loss of, for example, the eyes, the nose and the mouth. But if you turn your eyes a little bit towards the ears, you can move that smudgy area to the side. So that is something that we do when we do an assessment and then we give them advice on how to you know, work with that. Mm. I think that's very important and, uh, and education as well for other people. 
What what are you going to say, Belinda? So um, the the point about education is that very often people don't understand anything about their pathology. They've been given a diagnosis. Um, sometimes it's a huge relief for them that when we tell them with macular degeneration, unless there's any other pathology, they will always retain <clears throat> peripheral vision. And very often that's like, wow, that's such a relief. There's something else that's quite important, and that is something called Charles Bonner syndrome. In age-related macular degeneration, sometimes um, patients feel that they're losing their mind because they see things that aren't there. They don't want to tell anybody because that will reinforce that they're losing their mind. It's in fact a visual hallucination caused by the AMD. And it can last from anything from a couple of months to two years. Like that, that guy on the YouTuber was saying it was um, rainbows. Yes, yes. So they might see buildings, they might see, they could see quite um, ghoulish things. But once they know it, then they learn that they can actually move it away. So that's the one thing. How would they move it away? Um, by looking to the side um, sometimes helps them. Mm. Also stress, I think, does affect that. Um, and once they know that it's just part of the pathology. So when people come in to you, do you find that a lot of them starting come in with a lot of stress? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. There's the fear. Um you know, very often they live on their own, what's going to happen. Um, and that's why if they come when they are just diagnosed, you can um, look at their hobbies, look at are they still working, what would they like to do, um, what is the most significant thing in in their life. And often when they come in, they've been to so many appointments, they, they just see this as another disappointment. Um, and you can now say to them, what are your hobbies? Well, I used to love knitting or I used to do this. And you discuss techniques that they can still do it. They're amazed. We've got a lady who does the most magnificent quilting. But, you know, she's learned techniques. And um, there's a Benina sewing um, center next door to us. And they're fantastic about getting the things that we um, require require. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, and in asking people what they would miss most, I, I began to realize that most people said their independence. Absolutely. So it's giving up driving, living on their own, those sort of things that which often have to go. Yeah. And then um, the other thing was becoming a nuisance, yes. becoming a burden to their family. I think that mm. so often is a is a huge issue as well. Do you get people coming in with with those the, that feeling of our independence is going to go, and and you know that some of it is going to go? So well, Uber has made a huge difference for people today. In that but you've got to be able to afford Uber. Absolutely. Um, and you've also got to ask for assistance. Mm. Um, you know, people don't know what you need. And so um, we started this group. Um, we started one which we run on a Saturday because that's when um, people aren't working and they can bring their families and we also... Um, what, do they come and meet at yes. your centre? So, no, and so they actually meet at, at our home. We started doing it at restaurants, but when you can't see, you very often feel like you can't hear mm. because people mm. are used to looking at your face when they talk to you and seeing what you're not saying as well because your expression doesn't always tie up with what you're saying. Gosh, that's okay? amazing. Mm. Um, so when we have gone to restaurants, they kind of are confined to a seat. So we had um, a session the other day at our house, and um, we had somebody do a talk, and then people just sat and spoke. There were four lawyers. There was a physio. There was a... Um, a caterer, um, somebody in banking, and they can all share um, ideas. And um, as Audrey had mentioned to you, that speaking to others and seeing how they cope 
um, really gives them hope. Mm, absolutely. <clears throat> now, Hazel, coming to you, what what meaning do you get for yourself in this work? It's a very, very rewarding field to be in when you have somebody that comes in uh, just simply sometimes with the fear of blindness that nobody sat with them and said, you know what, your condition does not result in blindness and you can actually see that relief on their face or you have someone that you're able to assist with a telescope device or a magnifying device, whether it be electronic or just simple magnifier and you see that they get this level of independence, starting off with the anxiety when they come and see you, but by the time they walk out, they have a smile on their face, and mm. they say, well, I can't wait to come back for my next appointment, because I'm very much in working with the positive, what the level of vision is, not what is missing. Mm. So we like to reinforce the positive, what they can do, not what they cannot do, and the reward that I see afterwards is something that just keeps me going. I'm sure. But if they need to stick with the negative for a while, because sometimes, like in any loss, you actually have to remain with that loss for a while before you can move forward. How do you cope with that? If that's what they're saying, this is what I've lost. I don't want to hear all about what what's not going to happen, but this is what I'm dealing with now. When they're not ready, you can only tell them what the options are, and they have to work through the process. If it's very, very severe, and occasionally we have had one or two people that we've had to refer for proper counseling, because if it is severe to the point of really not wanting to continue living, they need counseling. Mm. I'm not able to give them that, but I'm able to refer to someone that can assist. So you would recognize that and then refer. And I should imagine that quite often happens. Um, another YouTube that I was listening to, the person actually said before they worked through, they were in such a state of, of, of almost suicidal state. Mm. Absolutely. But it, they need to get the knowledge. If they first can understand the condition that they've got, they might not be ready for it, but you can explain this is what you've got. These are the options that I've got for you now. You need to go home, work with it. When you're ready, you come back. But some, most often they don't know what the other options are. Mm, mm. So they've lost their vision, but they don't know, well, how am I going to cook the next meal? But if we can show them that there are techniques, then at least they go back with a little bit of empowerment. And when they're ready, they can take the next step. Mm. So in other words, you're almost lessening that, that loss. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Branding is what people say about you when you aren't in the room. To find out how IFM can work for your brand, call us on 010-140-4090. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. If you would like to SMS us, please do so on 34519 uh, or telegram us on 061-895-1019. I would love to hear from you. Um, and we're going to be listening to a very short YouTube by Molly Burke, who's actually a blogger, and she talks about on what it's like to go blind. And being a blogger, I think she's quite inspirational. I am a YouTuber and motivational speaker, and I happen to be blind. I was born with a rare genetic eye disease called retinitis pigmentosa, which is the deterioration of your retina. So when I was little, I could see, and then as I slowly uh, grew up, my vision actually caved in. And by grade four, I had to start using my white cane full time. Even at such a young age, I realized the stigma that surrounded that. And I realized nobody's ever going to come up to me and be like, how old is your cane? What's its name? But I knew that if I had a dog, it would break down that barrier again. Instead of being the weird girl with a cane, I'd be the cool girl with the dog in school. And everybody would actually want to talk to me, would want to learn. I was just 13 years old when I took a very nerve-wracking yet very exciting six-hour train ride alone. This train ride would take me from English-speaking Ontario to French-speaking Quebec, where I would spend the next four weeks of my life at an incredible guide dog school 
who specialized in service dogs for kids. I was the youngest in training that month by almost 10 years and was the only non-French speaker. It was a very isolating and lonely experience having no one to talk to except my new guide dog and she was not very good at holding conversation. I feel like I just had to compartmentalize everything. It's like I was aware of the vision loss happening, but I just couldn't let myself think about it. I just had to shove it into the back of my mind and focus on what I was there to do. Over the course of the month of training, my vision became worse and worse. Black started looking gray, yellow started looking white. Everything was just fading away. But my trust in my dog became better and better, and my confidence became stronger and stronger. My first guide dog, Gypsy, actually sadly passed away about four years ago. It was the most devastating thing I've been through next to my vision loss itself. But it's one of the things you have to accept when you become a service dog user and you spend 24 hours a day with an animal, you put your trust and your life into them. It is so much more than losing a pet. It's like losing a limb and it's really, really hard. So this is my second guide dog, Gallop, like a horse running. Gypsy was here to teach me to find happiness in the small things and Gallop is here to teach me to slow down, relax, take a breath and take some time for myself. He like lowers my heart rate whenever I get stressed. He's just like this calming presence. Double. He's like, can we stop doing training exercises from school? Every dog that comes into my life and is with me to teach me a certain lesson. And although it's only been two at this point, I know it's gonna continue on. The incredible time that you have with them and what they bring to your life is so worth it. So worth it. What I learned that month is that sometimes walking into a dark and scary situation can actually lead you to find the light. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. I'm, I'm with Belinda Liebowitz and Hazel Sakharovitz from the Low Vision Center. And Belinda, that particular YouTube that we've just listened to, um, when she said sometimes going through the dark leads you towards the light, what is the meaning for you? What meaning do you find in your work? Wow. Um, it's incredibly rewarding. Um, just, you know, you can sometimes give someone a small technique and it change, and it really can be life changing. Just giving them a black pilot fine liner to write with, um, on dark lined paper just makes it so much easier. Mm. Understanding the concepts of contrast, lighting and size that just adapting those three things can make such a big difference for them. So what does it mean to you when you see what a difference it makes? Oh, it just really, A, it makes me realize how lucky I am and how blessed I am. But it really, I love going to work. I love, you make a difference. Isn't that wonderful? And I think mm. that that's what we for me, that's important, mm -hmm. is to make a difference. To reach out to others, as I always say, is to reach into ourselves. 100%. And it really, it, it is so. Now, um, Hazel, going back to you, just so what is your dream for your future with your low vision center? Well, we've always wanted to have a center of excellence and over the years, when you're in academia, you're very sort of held back by the rules and regulations of academia. So having started in my own practice, which is, I think we're nearly getting to about 10 years now. Before then you were in academia. In academia. Mm -hmm. I've always wanted to have a center of excellence where people with visual impairment can get the full service, the multidisciplinary options to be able to refer to others if needs be. And just to share my knowledge, I want to share with my patients, I want to share with my colleagues, I want to share with the optometrists out there so that we are able to assist this large group of people with visual impairment. Do you feel that it would be beneficial to actually go into different schools, not necessarily um, schools for the blind or visually impaired, but a, 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 a normal just 
school, government school, private school, whatever, yes. and go in and actually tell them different types of losses and that they need to be aware of, of friends who are perhaps wearing glasses. Or Absolutely. We have um, even a few children that come to us that have had vision loss for whatever reason, and we like to involve the teachers as well as the parents as well as the principal because they're all part of the team that can help that child cope. So if the child understands, the parents understand, but also the other children in the class, mm. we often talk about a show and tell. Take that little telescope. Let the others feel it. Let them see what it's like to look through a telescope. Take the magnifier. If the teacher can do a show and tell and let the other children in the class experience what it's like first of all to have a little bit of vision loss and then secondly what it's like to look through a magnifier because they all assist but there's always pros and cons unfortunately there's no magic wand we can't say we can give you back a hundred percent vision but we can definitely give you back a lot more independence absolutely and I think it's it's for the the other pupils also to understand that my grandchildren were in uh, Israel some of them uh, earlier this year and they went there's a special um a blind um, exhi- um it's a it's actually well, what is it when you actually participate in it it's um uh i can't think but anyway you've got to go in it's and like you, a feel you, yes you, you feel. actually have to go through this entire center blind oh. and i mean they were blown away oh, was it. it dialogue in the dark I don't know what it's mm. called, but you actually go mm. in and you sense it yourself. You yeah. feel what it's like, which was amazing. We have a message here coming through from Australia from Judy Erwig. Extremely informative program. Thank you. Hazel and Belinda explained the issues and options so clearly and I can't quite read that. And your responses and your background research, Sue, are always impressive. Thank you so much, Judy. I know I can rely on you. Thanks, Audrey, for recommending these lovely therapists. I will be forwarding the podcast. Great. Thank you, Jude. And seeing you know Audrey as well, you know what an inspiration she is. Um, Belinda, we were talking about what you feel about this. Going back to uh, you, you actually mentioned, one of you mentioned uh, children who suddenly realize they can see when they they are given a pair of glasses. What what does that do to your soul? So we had a little girl one day. There's um, their devices called electronic readers, and they're quite big devices that um, sit on your desk. These are the older ones. And we had this little girl, and she came in with her mother, and this was in the early stages of cell phones. And we put the cell phone under this um, electronic device, and she said to her mother, Oh, Mommy, now I see what you mean by the letters on the numbers. So that just brings us to the fact that very often people can't do things because they don't know what to look at. Mm, mm. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. My guests are Belinda Liebowitz and Hazel Sakharovitz. And I would just like to ask Belinda just to tell us if people would like to get hold of you, how can they get hold of your center? Okay, so if they phone the Low Vision Care Center, 011-678-4438 and leave their contact details, we will get back to them. And I looked you up on Safari and, and Google and you're there under the Low Vision Care Center in Johannesburg. So if you want any of that information, please look them up. Um, and Hazel, there was something that you said touched your heart. What was that? One of the, we've had many special moments, but one of the very special ones that have really left a part, uh, a little special part in my heart, in actual fact, was a young girl that came in. A little girl, she was probably five or six years old, and been referred by the school teacher, not being able to see on the board, and you know, really battling. And we checked, and we were able to give her a pair of glasses. When she came to collect the glasses, this little face lit up that she was actually dancing around the practice. We all had tears in our eyes. She just touched such a special place. But when you make a difference in somebody's life to such a level that from a non-seeing to a seeing, well, I don't think there's anything more gratifying. Oh, I 
can't imagine. You must have all wanted to dance with her. We did. We wanted to take pictures and sing, and she was just, you know, you just get left on a high. You say, well, this is why I do this kind of work. Oh, how beautiful. Belinda, you also mentioned something about... Sometimes people don't believe someone is uh, so has such low vision because of they can see certain things. But sometimes someone will say to you, "But she can see such and such." But you know, so maybe she's just acting. So um, patients that walk around with a cane, um, they often have tunnel vision, and so they use a cane because they would fall. They can see in the distance um, if their visual acuity is good. So they then walk to the bus stop, get on the bus, and they read. And everybody says, cheat. But the fact is that if they are far from you, they can see you in totality. But if you are close to them, they can maybe only see your head or an arm or a very small part of you at a time. So how would they be reading then with the magnifying glass? No, so reading their visual acuity is very good because it's small and the area that they're looking through, they can read perfectly. Wow. So their visual acuity is very good. So that can really fool people. Field loss is either acuity or um visual um or visual field like tunnel loss mm. literally if you make a circle with your fingers and look through that that's how they would be looking at the world mm, that's amazing i mean i you know we i walked to drove out of my garden my uh, road today and there was a beautiful yellow uh, tree in full bloom and I thought oh my gosh you know how lucky i am to be able to see that that tree in its entirety Hazel, going forward, so you are hoping to actually, I'm sure, have more groups running because those sound very, very rewarding, the groups for people to come in as as groups. We are, you know, we always want to expand and do something a little bit different. So having the groups is another aspect that we've added to the private practice, and we found that the patients are really, really loving that interaction. Wonderful. Craig is telling me we've got to start wrapping up. So thank you both so much for being here. Please remember to look them up on Low Vision Care Center, Johannesburg, 011, um, what, six, six, seven, eight. Yes. Double four, three, eight. Okay. Thank you so much. And we're going to actually be ending with Stevie Wonder. And Stevie was actually, uh, went blind. Uh, he was in an incubator at birth and his eyes were damaged and we're going to be ending with a song of his uh, you are the sunshine of my life hazel did you want to say something quickly no, no? i thought you. you held up your hand to me now next week by the way we're going to be talking about logotherapy i've got um, tanya rubin coming onto my program with me